You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be recapping the crazy card that took place this past Saturday, UFC 241, Cormier versus Miocic 2, as well as going over Buddy Murphy's impressive performance on last week's SmackDown Live against Roman Reigns, and also fantasy booking how I would see the King of the Ring 2019 tournament go down. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. Hey guys, how's everybody doing tonight? We got a lot to go over on this show, especially based on how crazy the card was from this past Saturday, UFC 241. We knew it was a stacked card. Even the prelims had one really good fight in particular, which I think should have made it to the main card. But really, really strong performances from everybody and crazy back and forth wars in the last three fights on the card. And also, like I said, I want to go over how I would book the WWE King of the Ring 2019 tournament based on the brackets they gave us right now and go over Buddy Murphy's impressive performance on last week's SmackDown Live. But first off, let's start out with UFC 241. So let's start out with the prelim match between Corey Sandhagen and Rafael Asuncao. When exactly how I... I figured it would go. I mean, I thought a Sunsaw would have a little bit more success being able to push back Corey Sandhagen and land that power overhand right, but he really didn't land the overhand right at all on Sandhagen. Sandhagen was able to switch stances multiple times in the fight, you know, landing combinations as he switched stances. Good straight left and straight right hands down the center. The grappling, um, it was pretty even in terms of the grappling, but I think Sandhagen was able to get the better of him. In general, it wasn't the most exciting fight to say the least, but it was a breakout performance for Sandhagen. If he was able to finish Rafael Asuncao by submission, it would have been crazy, but that wasn't able to get the that wasn't able to come to fruition. Only other guy to do it, I believe, is uh, Marlon Marias, but or maybe the only guy to do it. I think he was the only one to submit Rafael Asuncao, uh, Magic Marlon Marias. But Sandhagen, yeah, man, he just. He just puts a pace on you and just makes you miss and makes you pay and just makes you second-guess everything you throw, and there was more of the same in this fight. And on the ground, you know, he was able to reverse position a few times. Uh, once When Asunsa was on the top, he was able to reverse position. And, yeah, it was a good fight. Not the most exciting, but Sanhagen got the job done by unanimous decision. Up next, a fight on the main card. We had Super Sadiq Youssef versus Gabriel Benitez. And Sadiq Youssef knocks out Gabriel Benitez at the end of the first round, 414 of the first round to be exact. And, you know, it's kind of crazy because Sadiq got dropped by Benitez like 30 seconds before he got the knockout, I think. It was either 30 seconds or it was in the earlier part of the round. But Sadiq Youssef just got dropped to the right hand, I believe. Looked like he was basically out cold. Um, got hit with a few shots from Benitez on the ground, but Sadiq was able to get his wits back about him. And I believe they were both in orthodox. No, okay. I, I think Benitez is in a southpaw stance, which is right foot in front, left foot in back. And Sadiq Youssef is in an orthodox conventional stance with the power coming from the right hand. And uh, Benitez tried to throw a right hand or a left hand over the top. And Sadiq just pulled back, controlling the range, and landed a right hook, or a left hook, I'm sorry, right on the jaw of Benitez, dropped him, and jumped on him to get the finish at 414 of the first round. 
I told you guys Sadiq Youssef was a, was a really good fighter, and I think this performance definitely was able to come through and show you just how good he was. And he moves to 10-1. and one, And, you know, he's coming off just the fighters from Nigeria have really just made a real a huge impact in the UFC. I mean, you've got two champions right now between uh, you've got Kamaru Usman, the welterweight champion of the world from Nigeria. You've got Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya, which I just did a breakdown on on my last episode. So if you have not listened to it, please go back and listen to my breakdowns. I've got four up now. We've got Dominic Cruz, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, Dustin the Diamond Poirier, and Israel Adesanya. And the breakdowns are long, but if you're into the technical side of MMA and knowing why certain things work when they work and why certain people are able to get the victories, I think I do a pretty good job without any visual aids of explaining it to you guys. So hopefully you agree and listen to them as I keep pumping them out. I'm going to try to maybe do one a week. I said that before. That's not really how it's going to, how it's been going down, but I'll keep them up if you guys think that they're good and you know, you like them. Next up, <laughs> probably my favorite fight on the card, Paulo the Eraser Costa versus Yoel Romero. Basically, two video game characters fighting each other. And, you know, <laughs> if USADA wasn't around and they were on all those Gorilla Biscuits, it probably would have been even crazier. But it was insane for what we got. You know, Paul, it went pretty much exactly how I saw it playing out. And even though it went to decision, I didn't think that they would be able to keep the pace up for all 15 minutes, but they definitely proved me wrong. And, you know, it showed just how good their cardio is for how much muscle mass they have. Usually the bigger you are and the more muscle mass you have, the slower you move and the slower your punches come as the fights go on, as the fight goes on, because you're using so much energy to move your body around because of all that muscle mass. But these guys are insane, extreme speed and power and was able to keep it up for 15 minutes. Costa did get tired in that third round, and that's when Yoel Romero was able to come back into the fight and win that third round, in my opinion. But Costa did just did enough damage in the first two rounds. And you know what? It was more the forward pressure of Paulo Costa. I said in my breakdown before the fight that Costa likes to push you up against the fence and rip left and right hooks to the body and then come upstairs. And that's basically what he did. You know, Costa would push Romero back with some overhand rights and left hooks and then rip shots to the body, and he had a really good power right kick to the body of Yoel Romero, just just blasting him with, the, with that power kick to the body over and over again, and then moving up to the head, kicking the legs, kicking the body, kicking the head, kicking at all levels, and pushing him back. And I think he won the first round. They both got a knockdown. Costa was able to knock down Romero with a left hook against the fence, and it looked like he was almost could have been out with that one shot, but Romero was able to get back up to his feet. And then Costa moved forward, tried to put the pressure on with those wild hooks and Romero just timed it and landed the overhand right. I believe dropping him dropping Costa, but Costa got right back up and it was just an insane fight. A lot of people think Yoel Romero was robbed, but you can't base a fight strictly off the last round. You know, if, if we based fights off the last round, I think Nate Diaz would probably be undefeated because he usually wins the last round of all his fights, which we'll get to the Diaz fight next after this. But honestly, I just feel like if Paulo Costa showed me a lot in this fight, and he did get tired in the third round, and in a championship fight, that's going to be a real problem against a guy like Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker because they don't really get tired in fights and are able to push a pace. I would say, but here's the thing. I think the power 
and the speed might be too much for Whitaker or Adesanya, depending on who wins that fight. And that's one fight I'm really looking forward to. I cannot wait to see what happens when those two get in the octagon together and try to unif- and go on to unify that middleweight championship. But this fight was just insane. You know, like I said, first round, Paulo Costa was able to back Yoel Romero up and obviously knock him down and just land the, the more shots. And Romero kind of was playing around, sticking his tongue out, rolling with the shots, but he didn't really roll with any of them. You know, when Diaz gets hit and he rolls with shots, they kind of brush off. When Romero tried to roll with the shots with his back against the fence, they were still connecting with almost all of their power. And looked like he was defending, but a lot of them were sneaking through the guard and cracking him on the chin. And that was really the key for uh, Paulo Costa. It was those left and right hooks to the body, and then coming up top with those power overhand rights, overhand lefts, and uh, the the right kick, the bright power kick to the body of Costa was money. It was landing almost every time he threw it. There was one time in the at the end of the second round where Romero, I think he timed a kick and shot a double leg and was able to get Costa down to the ground. And then in the third round, Romero went for a takedown, but Costa was able to reverse position and get the uh, like referee's position in wrestling where you have the, the their back, like back, almost back control, but without the hooks in, and was landing heavy shots. And when he knocked down, after he knocked down Romero in that first round, he got on top of him in like a sprawl position where you have your chest on the back of, of the opponent's head and your legs are sprawled backwards, and he was landing heavy, heavy shots to the head of Romero. And I think it was just the pressure and the activity was what won Paulo Costa this fight. And at first I thought possibly it could have gone to Romero, but when I watched it back the next day, I definitely think Costa was the right call and 29-28 was the correct decision. All right, up next, the co-main event, the people's main event, what everybody wanted to see, um, the Stockton gangster returning after three years, Nate Diaz, to fight Anthony Showtime Pettis at 170 pounds. And Nate Diaz just dominated this fight from start to finish. This might be the best performance we've seen out of Nate Diaz, just in terms of a well-rounded game. You know, we saw him fight against Michael Johnson, but he didn't use any of his grappling in that fight. It was more of just crisp, clean boxing as Michael Johnson tried to... It was speed and technique over power when he defeated Michael Johnson in their fight. And to be honest, man, Nate Diaz outlanded... Anthony Pettis, 205 to 86 in terms of strikes, total strikes. In terms of significant strikes, I think it was something like 110 to 30 or something like that or 40. I mean, he just put a pace on Nate, on Anthony Pettis that Pettis wasn't able to keep up with. And I thought that, that uh, Nate was going to probably lose the first round, but he actually got a takedown in that first round. I believe he got like a trip or like an ankle pick type of takedown. And was able to control Diaz on the or uh, Pettis on the ground for a little bit, and took his back, I believe, and sunk the hooks in to try to get that rear naked choke, but it didn't work. And it was just the pace, man. Nate Diaz just moves forward, puts his guard up, and lands that crisp one-two. And it's mixed timing. You know, it's not a one-two. It's a bop bop instead of a bop bop. It's a doo doo. It's just one after the other, just boom, boom, as he overextends his punches. You know, he gets full extension and then a little bit more on his shots so he can keep you at a range where you can't fight back. But I think because he knew Pettis was going to be a, have a kick-heavy game plan in this fight, 
he crowded him. So when you crowd a kicker, they're not able to kick because they don't have the distance. And I said in my breakdown, it's going to be about range management and distance management. I said in my breakdown with Israel Adesanya, and I said it in the pre-fight breakdown for this fight. You need distance to land kicks. So if Nate was able to pressure him and get in his face, he wouldn't be able to land kicks. And that's what happened. And he did land a few leg kicks, but Diaz actually checked a leg kick for once. We actually saw Diaz check a leg kick for the first time in his career. And it worked, and it, Pettis broke his foot, and I partially think that that checked leg kick that knocked Pettis off his feet is part of the reason that that foot broke. That might have been the actual strike that broke the foot of Anthony Pettis. I think it was in the first round as well. But, man, the second round and the third round, just Nate Diaz put a pressure on. He had a uh, – I can't think of what the name of this clinch is. It's not, it's not a collar tie. It's a, what the heck do they call it? It's like where you S grip and you have the opponent on your, like to your side and you're able to clinch and throw knees, pushing them into your knees or throw elbows. And, you know, when Pettis was, was pushed up against the fence by Diaz, he would put that underhook in on the uh, power side and he would elevate that underhook up to put, Pettis almost leaned over and crooked, and then that's where he would land the strikes. He would rip shots to the body, come up with uppercuts up the middle, and slap Pettis in the face, you know, to uh, to just disrupt him and not be, get him to be able to think correctly and to get his game plan off. But he landed two solid knees to the face of Pettis in the clinch and dropped him, folding him. I thought that was going to be the finish in the second round, but Pettis was able to survive. And then in the third round, it was more of the same, just heavy pressure, just that one-two by Diaz, pushing him up against the fence, controlling the wrists, landing uppercuts up the middle, ripping shots to the body, and just constant combinations. And Diaz doesn't have the most power, but like I said, it's death by accumulation. It's ba 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 And he's ripping so many shots at you that you can't breathe and you just will under the pressure. Pettis did survive all three rounds. Kudos to him because he took a beating towards the end of that second and into the third round. But, man, I don't know what's next for Nate Diaz, but he, this is probably the best he's ever looked in his career because it was so well-rounded. He kicked he kicked Anthony Pettis, too. He took him down. He kicked. He kneed. He used the clinch. He used his boxing. It was a very well-rounded performance. He got back control, almost sunk in a rear naked choke, tried for some triangles, but Pettis was really good at defending. And, you know, it was just the, probably the most well-rounded performance we've seen out of Nate Diaz in his entire career and what's next for him? He called out um, he called out Jorge Masvidal, Cuban Jesus, to fight for the baddest motherfucker on the baddest motherfucker on the planet title. And you know what? Baddest motherfucker in the game, I think, is what he called it. And you know what? I'm a hundred percent down for that fight. I think UFC 244 at Madison Square Garden, you co-main event that card with Anthony or uh, Nate Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal, and that's the fight we get. And I would love to see it. And I think you know what? I think Diaz has a good chance of winning that fight, but it's a really tough fight. I, I don't know who would win. I, I would lean more towards Diaz just because of the pace and pressure, but you can't count out Masvidal, especially after that five-second flying knee that took Ben Askren into the upside down. <laughs> but yeah, Diaz got the, got the win by 30-27 unanimous decision. And then the main event for the heavyweight championship of the world, Daniel Cormier defending against Stipe Miocic in a rematch from UFC 226. And man, Stipe Miocic, this was an all-out war. I had the fight 2-1 to one 
going into that fourth round. First round was all Cormier. He was landing crisp, clean boxing, landing that overhand right to left hook, jabs over and over again, right hands, got that single leg to a high crotch position, elevated Stipe Miocic and rolled him over the opposite shoulder, dumping him and controlled him on the ground in top position for the rest of that first round. All champion in the first round, DC. Second round, more of the same, just crisp boxing from Cormier. I think if he would have used his wrestling a little bit more, maybe transitioning from striking to takedowns, or he did have a point where he went for a takedown and faked it and come up, came up with a left hook, I think. I didn't actually see that in the fight. I heard the commentary say it, but I thought he went for the takedown and then Stipe countered him on the way up. That might have been what they meant, but I don't believe that was it. But Stipe was losing the fight, and then third round, he was starting to land more jabs, and he was landing the right hand over the jab of Daniel Cormier. You know, that's one of the key counters. You can either land a left hook over the jab of your opponent, or you can land a right hand if you slip to the inside and throw the overhand right. And it was starting to work for Miocic, and you could see Cormier was getting a little bit tired. And I think it was because he just focused so much on the stand-up based on the fact that he was able to knock Stipe out in their first fight. I think it got to his head, and he thought that Stipe just wouldn't be able to take his punches. But Stipe, you know, just kind of bided his time, got his ass kicked in the first round, more of the same in the second round, but towards the end he was starting to come back. Third round, I think Stipe won. It was a close round, but I think he landed the more effective shots. And then the fourth round, the key was that left hook to the liver of Daniel Cormier. He started moving in as Cormier would move forward and ripping that left hook to the body, ripping that left hook to the body. And the second punch he landed, you could see Cormier kind of stiffen up. And I think once he saw that, he just kept going back to it. Cormier would la- would go to throw like that flick jab. He'd slip to the outside and rip that right left hook to the liver, left hook to the liver, left hook to the liver. He landed about six or seven of them. The last one he landed, you saw Cormier stiffen up. He moves forward, right hand, stumbled Cormier against the fence, another right hand, another right hand, dropped him, left hook, right hand, right uppercut, left hook, and finishes Daniel Cormier by knockout in the fourth round to reclaim the heavyweight championship of the world. I think this puts a stamp on Stipe Miocic being the greatest heavyweight in all of mixed martial arts, and it was a great performance for him to be able to come back after those tough three rounds of fighting. Some people gave all three rounds to Cormier. Like I said, I had a two to one going into the fourth, but really, really strong performance to see Miocic come back. And I think, I think Cormier retires after this fight. I know he said he has a couple of some decisions to make, but he really doesn't have anything else to prove. And I don't see him getting that third John Jones fight. And I think the fight to make is Stipe Miocic versus John Jones at heavyweight. Possibly at UFC 245, the card which just got announced is going to have Amanda Nunes versus Jermaine Durandamy number two for the the Women's Bantamweight Championship. Um, I think that the main event being DC or uh, Stipe versus Jones or Madison Square Garden having Stipe versus Jones would be an amazing decision for them to make. But yeah, that's going to be it for the card. This was probably one of the best. MMA cards I've seen in the last year, year and a half. Just a really, really solid card. I can't say it's the best card we've ever seen, but based on what we've been getting lately in terms of these fight nights where it has one or two solid fights and the rest are just trash, this was really a breath of fresh air to get these re- these great fights from start to finish um, on Saturday night. Now we're going to move over to some professional wrestling 
Um, like I said, on SmackDown last week, we had the main event. It wasn't even the main event. I think it was like it happened in the second hour of the show. Buddy Murphy getting his first singles match on SmackDown Live against the big dog, Roman Reigns. And what a fucking star, star, breakout star performance this was for Buddy Murphy. I mean, I think a lot of people probably thought Reigns was going to have it be competitive for the first few minutes and then just run right through Buddy Murphy. And it was not, that was not the case. It was a back and forth battle for the whole entire time. I think the match went about 15 minutes. No, probably not 15, probably around 10, 10 minutes. And it was just balls to the wall. Um, Murphy came right out of the gate with a flying knee right to Reigns' jaw. And I think that the correct way to book this match would have been to have Murphy get that surprise victory off that flying knee right away in the beginning of the match. Kind of like what, uh, Matt Riddle did to Cassius Ono when he debuted at NXT TakeOver, where you just run out, hit him with that knee, and pin him with the one, two, three, but then he gets up like, what happened? Then you could build the rematch between Reigns and Murphy for the next pay-per-view, and then whoever, or, or maybe for a SmackDown down the line, Reigns could have got that victory, and then you have the, the final match at a pay-per-view, and I think that would have been great to see. But this was an amazing match for Buddy Murphy, just he fought so so well in this match or wrestled so well against Reigns and this was probably one of Reigns' best match he really made Murphy look like a star there was a point where he landed a superman punch on buddy murphy and went going for the 1 2 murphy kicked out and he goes who is this guy or who the hell is this guy like man he's really pushing me to my limits and Murphy landed, uh, towards the end of the match, he landed a flying knee and then about three other knees to the head of Roman Reigns. And I thought that was going to be it. And then he hit the brain buster after the knees and uh, got a got a 2.8 count um, off those knees and really made me pop. I thought maybe they were going to give Murphy the victory. Um, Reigns got up, Superman punch, ran across the ring and speared Buddy Murphy, making him do a full flip in midair and got the 1-2-3 victory. But this made Murphy a star. And I could definitely see him winning the King of the Ring tournament, even though I don't know if WWE is going to book it that way because they just don't seem to want to give a breakout star the wins in these kind of things. They usually fall back on somebody who's already been made a star or who they believe is a star, even if the fans don't think that it is. And man, if this doesn't show you that Murphy can be a world champion, I've said it for months now. And I think that proved it, his match against Reigns. And this Tuesday, we have Buddy Murphy versus Daniel Bryan. So that's going to be amazing. Do not miss out on that match at all. And I can't wait to see it. But I'm actually going to cut it short here and move to the second part because I want to say how I would book the King of the Ring tournament. So let's go to the next part, guys. Hold on. <laughs> 